In August 2016, I learned more about bees by visiting a beekeeper in the North Fork of Eastern Long Island. A marine biologist by trade, Laura Clare, founder of Blossom Meadow, started beekeeping soon after having a dream in 1997 that she was a beekeeper. Eventually, her operation grew to 100 beehives. In today's podcast, I share parts of our conversations, including the key things we can do to support our bees and other pollinators who need our support. Hello and welcome. I'm Sophia Ruan Goucher, author of the book A to Z of Detoxing, The Ultimate Guide to Reducing Our Toxic Exposures, and now host of the Practical Non-Toxic Living Podcast where I sit down with everyone from beekeepers to teachers, chefs to doctors, and all of the mothers, fathers, and children in between. Collectively, we'll learn tips and tricks for practical, non-toxic living. I look forward to sharing my humbling and never-ending journey with all of you. Bees are crucial to our food supply. Approximately one-third of our food relies on bees as pollinators, a service that has been valued at $168 billion per year worldwide. In the United States, bees contribute more than $15 billion to our crop production, according to the USDA. So more people should know that the populations of bees, as well as those of other pollinators, are in jeopardy. Starting in late 2006, U.S. beekeepers began reporting alarming losses of bee populations, reporting losses as much as 30 to 90 percent. This emerging and global phenomenon became known as colony collapse disorder. Colony collapse disorder, in my definition, there are a few different definitions of uh, CCD, but to me it's a death by a thousand cuts, right? You have pesticides that are an issue, land use changes, viruses, pesticides. So with the pesticides, right? A big one are the class of pesticides called neonicotinoids, or neonics for short. It's giving, uh, the, for instance, um, you know the grub killers, not nematodes because that's a natural way of getting rid of uh, uh, grubs, but um, the, when you have dead spots in your lawn, sometimes it's caused by grubs. Some people will then take a pesticide sprinkle it down on the lawn, and then irrigate it in. The grubs come eat the lawn roots, they die, right? Which is right. what the goal was. But the problem is that active ingredient, imidacloprid, is usually uh, the main ingredient, or clothionidin is another neonic. It goes into, it still goes into the plants, but it goes into the leaves, and from the roots into the leaves, and then the nectar and pollen. Mm -hmm. The bees come take that back, they mm -hmm. eat it, take it back to their home, mm -hmm. and through time, they're getting early dementia. Yeah, oh wow. You know, and, and so, and journal article upon journal article is showing this. It's not just some kind of fluffy right. idea. I mean, there's like real science behind real it that, that this is uh, a real issue. And then on top of it, you have land use changes, right? right? Everybody likes these green lawns with nothing growing there. Right. You know, and, and look, you can reverse that trend so easily. Right. Uh, but folks seem to like these green lawns with nothing growing in them. And uh, uh, that's a, a food desert to a bee. So then you're hurting them that way. And then even high deer populations, uh, which we definitely have on the East End, 
they are eating all of the flowers. Okay. So again, affecting all the deer populations. Okay. And also understory bird populations as well have declined because mm -hmm. of the high populations of deer. Mm -hmm. uh, when you go hiking through a forest now on the east end, you can see right through the forest. There's yeah. not as much understory because the deer have eaten it. Okay. So it's definitely affected the ecosystem even more on a, um, a broader scale out here than even climate change has at this point on our wow. forest. The bee population is still in jeopardy. As of the year ending in April 2016, 44% of the overall commercial bee population died. In a typical year before colony collapse disorder, only 10 to 15% would have died. So the loss of bees have increased from 10 to 15% to 44%. America's largest beekeeper, Brett ID, whose operation provides more than 2 billion bees to farmers, estimates that we could easily have lost $1.2 billion worth of bees over the last five years. Another noteworthy concern is the diminishing diversity of bees. Between 2008 and 2013, wild bee diversity in the U.S. dropped by 23% and a previously common bumblebee species was recently listed as endangered. Losing diversity among pollinators challenges the ability to grow diverse crops, which also challenges our food supply. Laura Claret of Blossom Meadow explains some history and context on why we have a pollinator crisis. Before World War II, uh, farmers really would farm a bunch of different crops right and they would have some natural areas set aside hedgerows set aside where the native bees would live remember 70 percent of them live in the ground and then 30 percent of them live in bee tunnels so you know uh over 300 different species of bees live in the ground those native bees because they're two to three times better at pollinating than honeybees they were the ones that pollinated all the crops but then what happened was after world war ii with the advent of chemical fertilizers and Kind of factory farms where everybody's uh, not everybody uh, but many farms started focusing just on one crop right and specializing they would then farm acres of just one crop and till under everything right so then you started seeing how there was a decrease in natural lands and they just had one crop each crop only blooms for about a week week and a half so if you are just having that one week and a half right now all of a sudden you have to bring in pollinators because you're not feeding them through right. the season and you got rid of their habitat. Right. So an, a bumblebee, like I said, can only fly half mile on average, right? Whereas a mason bee only flies 300 feet or a football field. Honeybees, on the other hand, they'll fly up to three miles. So even though they're not as good at pollinating, they can fly longer distances. So then you can call a, a beekeeper and say, hey, Bring your, your hives over, uh, I've got a crop. They bring them in for two weeks and they take them away and then you have factory farms. Mm -hmm. So uh, the pollination crisis that people are talking about is really because honeybees started having such a difficult time. Mm -hmm. And you really only hear about honeybees because that's where all the data is. Because you have mm -hmm. beekeepers that are keeping honeybees, non-native honeybees, because uh, they're all originally from Europe, um, but they keep the bees because people like honey, and so they know how many of their hives died off during the right. winter, right? Mm -hmm. Or during the year, because right. you have real data. 
with the native bees because they fly so quickly and live all these different crazy. Oh, look, there's a monarch butterfly. <laughs> that cracks me up. Um, so because native bees live all over the place and we're still in some areas even identifying what those species are some of them don't right. even have common names right. some even scientific names right so there isn't as much baseline data on those native bees mm -hmm. so there actually is a decline with those native bees but you just hear about the honeybees right. because there's more data there and people love honey so much right laura had great advice on what to plant in your yard to help the bees for example, Laura recommends planting a diversity of flowers and planting for the entire season. Laura also explained pollination. You want to have a food source for them throughout the entire season, growing season. And do most flowers have nectar? I feel like this is something I should know from yes. grade school. <laughs> well, no, it's a very good question actually. The only reason why flowers produce nectar is they are attracting the pollinators to them, okay. right? because uh, they want to move their pollen, which is sperm, it's all about plant sex actually, right? Because you want to uh, get your pollen to another flower and uh, to, to fertilize it and make seeds, right? So uh, the only way to attract a bee or a wasp or a yellow jacket, since they are all pollinators, is just that bees are better because they're furrier. If you're a furry, then you're a better pollinator than if you're not as furry. So again, the only reason why uh, flowers produce nectar is to attract a bee, right? Then when it moves to the next flower, it pollinates it. Once that other flower, right, is pollinated, the flower immediately knows it and it stops producing nectar and starts absorbing the nectar again because wow. it's so energy intensive for them to make. So bumblebees know this somehow so when they actually do their food collection trips before they go home they go to each flower that they visited two or three times because they know that they just pollinated that flower it's going to stop how they know this I don't know but through science they've they found this so they'll visit that flower two to three times before they actually get go home and unload the food because they know that that flower as soon as it's pollinated is absorbing the rest Wow. and they want to get as much as they possibly can. Wow. Crazy, right? Amazing. So um, grapes, wine grapes, are actually self-pollinating. So they, those flowers don't even produce any nectar because they don't need a bee. Mm -hmm. So there's no energetic reason why it would produce nectar. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I also read that they, they get in like big industries or big companies move them around from region to region to pollinate right so this is the problem that uh we have now created this farming system that is basically an outdoor factory where you're just farming one crop and then you have to bring the bees in right and since so many people have now done this then you have to truck the bees yeah. Uh, across the nation. So Another helpful thing you can do in your yard is to provide homes for the bees. Laura explains. There are 4,000 different bee species nationwide. Yeah. Within the Northeast and including in New York State, there's 450 different kinds, yeah. right? 30% um, of them are tunnel nesters. Okay. And so that means that they live in hollow plant stems or even in the beetle tunnels of a dead tree. Uh, or even in the holes in driftwood. Have you ever seen how there are those holes? Yeah. Uh, even one person told me how they had bees living in their chimes. Wow. So they just wow. don't, uh, they look to find a home. So this way you put it real close and they have everything right here. Great. 
Uh, I heard recently that bees have a limited number of flight miles in their lifetime. Well, I guess we all do. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, with bees, uh, just like with humans, life is an energy budget, right? right? So we go to the closest grocery store, the bees go to the closest flowers. Right. So, right. Uh, you know, uh, with um, a bumblebee, they'll fly up to a half mile from their hive, but they always want to go even closer because it's all about getting as much food back to the hive so then you could feed all your family. So, yeah. much like humans. If you're nervous about bee stings, then consider what Laura has to say about how gentle some of them are. Still, please be cautious and thoughtful about your unique situations, including family members who are allergic to bee stings. If you ever get stung by something that's living in the ground, it's not a native bee. It's not a bee. It's a yellow jacket or a wasp. Okay. Uh, native bees are so gentle. Okay. And uh, uh, the reason is because uh, with the native bees, like cellophane bees, uh, mason bees, leaf cutters. The same female that's going out collecting food is the same one laying an egg. Yeah. So she doesn't want to get in a kerfuffle with you and die, right? Because yeah. you're going to smush her. Yeah. Uh, so because she wants to get her genes into the next generation. It's all about laying eggs. Conversely, you can think about it as the aggressive ones went up to you. You killed them. So it self-selects for a gentle population of bees. Mm -hmm. So kind of cool. Very cool. Another wonderful thing to start doing is to buy honey from local farmers who practice compassionate beekeeping. I've also read that farmers, because there isn't enough natural, like, natural flowers for the bees to, um, for the bees' natural diet, that farmers have had to give them high fructose corn syrup. Have you heard that? So farmers can change that trend, right? right. Uh, high fructose corn syrup. Uh, some of the larger uh, farmers or beekeepers were, give that to their bees because it's a cheaper source right. uh, in the spring to get them going. Right. You can just use regular sugar water, right? Um, it, but the best of all is giving them their honey uh, or right. keeping honey on their hive. Right. So um, with the, the best thing that farmers can do is actually having a natural area for the bees to live. Last, avoid using pesticides as much as possible. This is helpful not just to bees and other pollinators, but also to you, your family, and anyone else on your property. Instead, consider experimenting with non-toxic pest management. Laura had great advice on how I could fine-tune my challenge of dealing with an underground civilization of ground wasps in my backyard. Uh, we had we had an area that was gravel and then sand underneath, so it was dry. And we had like thirty holes for the ground, the ground wasps. Maybe sixty. Were were there were they actual wasps that were stinging you? They didn't sting anyone. They're big, and I didn't want to use pesticides. It was well, yeah. so the best thing to do is figure out what species it is first to then decide what action to take. How so, do you figure out which species? So um, you can take a picture of the bee. It's funny how many people send me pictures or bring them into oh. uh, our store. They're like, Laura, what's this? But you can also put on whatsthatbug.com. And wow. so, yes, and entomologists from around the nation That's and the world amazing. go on and identify it for you. That's so, amazing. what's that bug.com? Also, is? 
more of us need to become engaged in community policies and procedures. For example, did you know that your local area may be using pesticides and other interventions? Becoming aware may influence your choices like which lakes and ponds you swim in. We should become more involved so that we are collectively making choices that are mindful of our ecosystems and all life forms. I um, think that humans have really um, put everything in a major imbalance and probably the reason why you're not seeing any mosquitoes is because of Suffolk County vector control has probably stepped up mosquito spraying in your area because of eastern equine encephalitis. They did um, last week. They just sprayed because yeah. the oh, mosquitoes really? were so bad. Right. Oh, really? So, um, but how they, do they spray it from the air? Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. they do it by plane, but also um, by truck. Okay. Uh, and then they also use um, a bacillus, uh, which is a bacteria that they put into standing ponds, uh, okay. standing water. Uh, which then that takes care of the larval form of mosquitoes. Okay. But you know, even mosquitoes are like a major part of our ecosystem where bats eat them and, right. and everything else. So I, I think we have a long way to go, mm-hmm. a long, long way to go. And that's why I'm glad that you wrote your book. I'm glad that people are interested about bees because it's, it's just, it's so out of balance, yeah. you know? And um, unfortunately, Uh, we still have to do a lot more education. (laughs) I hope this podcast has helped engage your appreciation and concern for our world's pollinators. Please visit my blog at nontoxicliving.tips to see videos of my visit to Laura's beekeeping operation. You'll find more insights on beekeeping and helping our pollinators. Remember, there are five wonderful things you can do to help. One, plant diverse plants and flowers for pollinators and plant for the entire season. Two, provide homes for the bees. You can see examples on my blog. Three, buy honey from local farmers who practice compassionate beekeeping. Four, avoid using pesticides as much as possible. And five, become aware of your community policies and procedures with using pesticides and get engaged. Thanks for tuning in. Join me on my journey for practical non-toxic living by subscribing to this podcast and following me online. Just visit my website, nontoxicliving.tips for more. That's nontoxicliving.tips. Even better, buy your copy of my book, A to Z of Detoxing. It's the only book you'll want to help you reduce your toxic exposures. It's sold worldwide, including on Amazon. Until next time.